So we're going to get started if it's okay with you two. Perfect. Awesome, guys. Welcome to uh, the Art of Retreat live interview series. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, next week we're meant to be running the European Art of Retreat, but due to the global pandemic, that is not happening. Instead, we're all stuck in our homes and we're mildly bored. So I thought, hey, why don't I find interesting people and pair them up and then chat to them about things that they know a lot about so I can learn stuff. And I'll, you know, put it live so you can all watch and learn things hopefully as well. Uh, so today I've pulled together two very interesting people. We have Barbara Hoverkova, or Red, as she's affectionately known. She's the operations manager for Parco Generations London. At the same time, she works as an operational manager for a major air purification company in the city of London. With a decade of experience working in the world of business, she brings all sorts of lessons from the real world into the parkour industry. And also, we have, growing up in a family of entrepreneurs, Yanni has been involved in various boards since the age of 16. With 18 years of experience in every possible boardroom role, he remains an active board member in his local parkour club, the Finnish national governing body, and Parkour Earth. Additionally, he sat on the board of an internationally operating listed company and has served on a multi-million euro construction company board for 12 years. Whew, you guys are qualified. Uh, thanks both for joining me. Uh, Red, let's like start you. with describing your journey into parkour and telling us why it really captured your attention. Um, I think that I joined parkour as a practitioner uh, for the same reason as many other people. I just thought it was really cool. Um, and I got into, um, I started training with Parkour Generations um, and I really liked their um, ethos and their way of training. So they taught me it's not just about uh, looking good, it's not just about doing cool stuff, it was about um, mental resilience and um, as getting to know one, one, getting to know yourself through movement um encountering obstacles and realizing that sometimes the obstacle is the way um and um i i started to um bond with the people i i trained with i started to um create friendships and somehow fast forward two years um i had a discussion with um the ceo of parkour generations mr dan edwards and we have spoken about the way um, companies are run and how um, uh, my, my then job um, was somewhat what Parkour Generations was in need of at the time. And somehow we found a synergy between those two and um, he very kindly offered me a job and he onboarded me um, and the whole team was very welcoming to me being quite clearly the outsider, just a little bit. Um, they welcomed me, they onboarded me, they uh, showed me their ways. And um, now two years later, um, I'm still there, still trying to do my best to support the team and uh, to help the company be the best version of what it can be. So that's sort of my path forward, path cool. into parkour. So Jax, it sometimes feels like you've been doing parkour forever, um, probably because you're just so old. Um, what were the <laughs> what were the early days of parkour like in Finland? Um, well, I, I started in two thousand four, 
And uh, I think during like 2005 and two, two well, maybe 2007, uh, the whole community was blooming, I'd say. Uh, there was like a lot of local jams and bigger events organized by the Finnish Parker Association already and uh, by the active practitioners. So it was a uh, very interesting time. A lot of, uh, they, I think there were like thousands of people involved in parkour already. Uh, but for some reason, the, I think kind of the hype started to fade a bit, but I'd say from those ashes kind of like rose, uh, uh, the now, now existing organization that are running uh, like classes and most of uh, the organized parkour activities that are in Finland now. Um, but so, yeah, well, for now, we in Finnish Parkour Association, we have like 10,000 members and about, I'd say, a bit more than 60% from that is uh, uh, through our member organizations and there are like 25 member organizations. So. It's uh, more structured now, but there's still a lot of practitioners in Finland. So you were one of the first countries to really go to that level of organization. Was it something that was decided early on, we need to organize this? Or was it, was it do you think it's just part of Finnish culture that people organize like that? Yeah, I think it's, it's part of a Finnish culture that uh, most sports organizations, they are uh, like associations and uh, they mostly run through uh, volunteer volunteers and um, I think that the guys that foreign park Finnish parker association they had like the ability to see that this would somehow get bigger in the next few years so they started Finnish parker association already in 2003 so a year before I even got involved in parkour in any way so they were like in the front row cool all right so um red i remember kind of the reason that i kind of wanted to go down this whole route with you is because i remember that um when i first met you you were really interested in the idea that parkour and seemed to be full of people who would be much more financially successful if they did something else with their lives instead of teaching parkour and traveling or the world but now that you've been in the scene a bit longer, actually, it's almost a year to the day. Uh, do you still think that's true? Um, why do so many parkour practitioners choose this life when it's clearly not in their financial interest to do so? I actually don't remember saying that to you, um, but it does sound like something I would have said at the beginning um, of me being in parkour. <laughs> um, but yes, clearly I did say that. Um, it was only because of the background, of my own background, where um, the status of success was shown by how much money you've got and what title you've got. Um, and also I was coming from um, corporate setting of Canary Wharf in London, um, where it was all about money. There was nothing, nothing else uh, to worry about. It was only, um, oh, it was all, always about more money. Um, what, what I didn't realize at the time is that everybody uh, was lacking purpose, was lacking their own personal mission, and they were lacking almost 
uh, themselves. So they, they didn't really know um, much about themselves at the time because it was all about making more money and being at the office and working hard and then also some more money. Um, so I think that at the time I was just a bit like, that's crazy when people, people here are not doing that. So at the time I was surprised, admittedly. Um, now I'm not anymore because <laughs> I'm one of them. Um, I realized that it's really not about money um, and the, um, the purpose that we have um, supporting people, developing people, um, training people, and not just in terms of um, parkour movements um, is just worth so much more. And I now understand um, why people do it. I think it's not really even about, oh, this is such a cool thing to do. No, it is really much deeper because we are really here helping people be the best version of themselves um, and using parkour as the tool to do so. Um, and after a couple of years of being in parkour now, I can honestly say that I would do it even for free because it's just so important. Um, so I, I just, because I am the outsider, I am coming from a different world. Um, I wasn't there 15 years ago when parkour in the UK started. Um, it was just a little alien to me at the time, but yeah, now I see it. Cool. So let's let's turn that question around and let's talk about it in this term then. Um, feel free, either of you, to answer this. Um, why is it important to make money through parkour? Go on, Jack. <laughs> well, you have to have some income to make make it in life. Uh, for example, me, uh, I have a mortgage and yeah, stuff that. Great for those have, yeah. Yeah, you have to pay for your living. So you need some income. And uh, for me, it kind of like happened naturally. I did something that I loved. Uh, it was a great hobby, hobby, but and eventually it became so huge part of my life that it started to make the most of my income. And it was easy to make that decision that now I'm going to do this full time. So I think that for me, it wasn't about, about like thinking that it has to, uh, like it has to give me, give me the, the all, all my income, but it was more like I ended up doing it and I was lucky enough to get enough income that I could manage in life, so. Cool. Okay. I kind of, I always see this as a, um, a question of sustainability. Like um, the important thing is to be able to pay your way, live your life, scale up in a way that is sustainable and manageable. And one of the things that's very true is if you have volunteers, they'll work as hard as they can. But if you can pay someone, they are able to work harder. Um, maybe that's just my way of seeing it. Do you guys think about business that way sometimes? Or do you think about it as just as structures that we can use to help people? No, I do agree. Um, people like people got to eat. Um, so if you can, if you can provide them with um, um, sustainable lifestyle where yes, they do what they love, 
um, and they build something bigger and they are helping people. That's beautiful, well done, but yeah, bills have to be paid. Um, and, and the idea is then, uh, so some people really are just um, living their life of parkour. It's not their side job very often. It's, it's just the main thing that they do. Um, so you, you have to be able to create such a mod, such model that allows them to do that, I guess. If it, if it, is, the, if it is the full-time thing that they want to do, if it is not the, so if I can kind of like maybe take you guys to a slightly easier question to answer it sounds like that was a little bit too ephemeral um what do you think what process should um budding parkour business men or women be going through when they're making business decisions in this sort of dichotomy of well and clearly I need to make money but it's clearly not about making money how should we be thinking about those processes How is that easier? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. Um, <laughs> uh, well, um, um, I would say it's a bit false to like say that, like in order uh, you you would have to decide the, that you either make money or you build a community. Uh, I would say that uh, you have to like choose which one you value more, but you can't. You have to kind of like have those both aspects. Even though if you want to make a lot of money, you have to have a community. Uh, but if you want to build a good community, you cannot think only about the money because that's kind of like obvious and might uh, might um, give give like wrong signals about your actions. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, I think that, well, if you, if you look about, look about a uh, corporate world, uh, it's all, all, all about creating a, like a story or how you're marketing it. Cause there are like a lot of examples in the corporate world, like let's say, for example, Apple, which is like, it has like a huge fan base, like people that are loyal customers. So you cannot like build that just about like, just thinking about money, but you have to think about what you're giving out. And I'm not, I don't believe that anything that nowadays, every, anything that's really successful, they always have a story. If you don't have that story, you cannot like, build a strong community or a strong set of followers or customers. So you have to have story. So I would build on that one. And it's also about balance. Um, as a company, um, you often decide what sort of company you want to be. Are you going to be the, the greedy, going after your money, um, whatever it takes sort of company or uh, being a charity. Um, what I think that Parco does very often and what I see in Parco companies is that they, are, they uh, try to do a little bit of both. So they do stuff that tries uh, to make money to sustain them, but on the other hand, do something that gives community back. 
if it's not community, it's um, the environment, for example. So that's why we do um, the ticketed events, but that's why we also do free jams. That's why we um, sell memberships, but then we also do um, leave no trace jam where we try to clean our environment. I think it is about the balance and if it is possible to do both, um, I, I think it's a clever idea um, to do both, not only as a company, but also as for the people who work in the company and the people who support it. So are you making, um, are you overlapping the idea of the community and the company there quite a lot that on purpose? Or is it just because of the examples you know? So for instance, up, up here, we very much separate the two. There's the company that does the money making, there's the, the uh, community that does the free stuff. Do you think that it's, um, there's benefit to the same institution doing both things? I think so. Cool. <laughs> no, that's totally fine. Great. Um, so what are, we kind of, ta we're talking about the, the, the community struggling with this relatively complicated question about um, how to create community, how to do what's right, how to do what we believe in, and also, on the other hand, trying to make money, trying to survive, trying to pay coaches. Um, and we see it potentially as a slightly false dichotomy. Um, but um, what are some common mistakes that we're seeing in the parkour industry that feel so obvious to those of you with external experience? I go first. Go first. <laughs> <laughs> Why always me? Huh? Um, yeah. Mm, yeah, well, I think that nothing comes to my mind exactly from just parkour industry i think a lot of uh new companies in general have the same same uh like problems in the beginning um most don't understand the rules and le legislations and more more importantly i think they're like lost in running a budget so these are like like uh, simple things so i would say that like first thing to kind of like learn how to plan your money, uh, where to get it, how to get it, uh, what are your expenses maybe. Um, like, um, I, I'm not saying that you would have to be a lawyer or an accountant or both or anything, but learn the basics. And uh, especially those specialities in your own industry. So you will have like an overall picture so you you kind of like know how how your business is built and how the how the market is built and that that's kind of that kind of gives you the tools how it works and you can adjust your 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 own operations effectively and maybe it helps you better achieving your goals in the beginning mm. okay so if you were to yeah, pull I, out one or well, I'd like to add that it's obviously you can learn this through like trial and error, but it's usually very time consuming and expensive. So I would say that you kind of like get to know those basics before you start your business. So you're, it'll help you a lot. So if you were to pull out specifically one or two basics that you really feel people should have, 
um, you've sort of hit finance, so is that um, your profit and loss sheets, uh, your income expenditure, your profit margin, that sort of thing. What are you? What what aspect of those ideas are you really focusing on there? Well, um, most people understand like that if if there's coming like let's say a thousand euros are coming and I have expenses for uh, 800 euros that that's easy okay I got like 200 200 profit that's easy but like what is all those numbers you have to learn what are behind those numbers and uh, then after you get familiar familiar with the numbers it's more easier to like just look out and look at the numbers and it doesn't matter matter what is behind the numbers do you get what i mean here because for me when i get a piece of paper that's like showing the budget i immediately uh, can spot the like what's wrong with it what what are the problems with it and it's not like i i'm like good at making like uh budget plans for any company but I understand the numbers, so I obviously can spot the the problems there, and that's like that's ha that has come to me through the experience of seeing a lot of budgets. Do I make sense here? So, are you? I, I um, from my perspective, the what well, I think what you're saying is that the it doesn't really matter what the company is at the end of the day, the flow of money is the same um yeah if you look at the way money comes into and out of a company it doesn't change so actually there's a lot of lessons to be learned about how to manage money that the parkour community could take on from other resources because these are some questions that have already been answered yeah and uh, maybe kind of like learn to spot that what are the similarities and what are the differences between like parkour company and maybe if you're more familiar with a uh, running restaurant maybe <laughs> or okay. so see the similarities and the differences between the budgets so that so what are that some of the similarities it. and differences well uh your expenses you know are, are in your employees for example you have to like know what are the rules and stuff like because you have to pay some more expenses than just the pay so kind of like those are the obvious similarities but like for example you probably don't um use use the money same money in a restaurant as you used in a parker gym for like maybe in like cleaning expenses so that kind of stuff that it's, it's kind of like about details but seeing that what fits your business and uh, what doesn't. Okay, Red, um, I suppose you'd kind of quite obviously come at this from an operations perspective. So when you're thinking about what you're seeing in the world of parkour, I know you've been exposed to a reasonable amount of difference now. What are you seeing as things that we're doing well, the things we're not doing well, or those uh, questions? I can... I can speak from the parkour company perspective, but also from other smaller um, companies um, or small medium companies. Um, I think I agree that uh, financials are definitely um, 
um, one of the most important things that one has to understand if they go and uh, set up a business. Like knowing what your budget, knowing how to set your budget, how to plan your budget, knowing how to, uh, what the expenses of running a business actually are, rather than just think that people pay for a class and I pay the coach. No, there are taxes, there are, there are various other things. And I'm not talking um, further afield about investments and selling shares, but I'm really talking about the granule of like, what is your, what is your rent? What are your utility bills? What are your, what are your monthly expenses to run this business? Um, I also think that if any company, but yes, Parker company is an example is small. And let's say there are 10 people employed in the, in the company they still have to have uh, procedures, standard operating procedures, and they always have to have their systems and they have to be followed. There, has, there have to be some guidelines. Sure, you can, you can deviate and they can be rather fluid in the corporate world that they're, they're very much set in a way and you just can't move that. Um, but I think not having systems at all leads to um, confusion and um, ineffective, ineffective leadership and ineffective um, business running. So if you try to manage something, you have to measure it. You have to have those weekly meetings. You have to have those um, onboarding procedures for new employees. You have to have those deadlines. Um, you have to have um, reviews. Yeah. Stuff like that. So systems, you have to have contracts, you have to. It's just you're protecting yourself, you're protect, protecting the business, you're protecting the employees, um, stuff like this. And in small businesses, very often it's like, oh, that's all right, we're mates. I'm like, well, <laughs> okay. But we're protecting that friendship, let's say. We're protecting each other by having a contract, by having a system and by knowing what's expected of each other. Um, that way. So I think I, I think that's quite an important thing that I would flag. Yeah, um, I agree. SOP is huge. Okay, so let's let's sort of uh, let's, let's take a step back and assume because obviously the three of us can sit here and go, yeah, standard operating procedures. But let's sort of walk walk through what that might mean a little bit. So if we can talk to someone who's set up business with their friends and they want to uh, make sure that their 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 coaching business is successful. And they're, they've been told that they need to have standard operating procedures, but it's just it's jargon to them. So can you walk me through what I need to do as a new business in order to protect all of these people? Um, I do realize that um, people who do go into the business, they do it because they have an idea and then they want to um, build on it and they want to build something amazing out of it and that's that's amazing and let's say um someone can be an amazing parkour coach uh, but it's almost unfair to expect him to know a to z of business management um, so i would suggest that they they do go to someone who knows it or they do, do go and um, set up the company with help of a lawyer or with help of an accountant or help with a business manager who is experienced with this already. Um, because 
if if I look at me like I'm not the I'm not the best parkour coach in the world, but I'm pretty good at what I do, and that is important. And what is important for the parkour coaches is to be really good parkour coaches. I can't expect them to know everything about bookkeeping because that's someone else's job. I need them to be an amazing parkour coach. Um, no, I, I'm totally on board. Like for me, it's it's sort of fascinating how many companies go through this process where they expect parkour people who want to be parkour coaches to then do some of the administration on the side. Like that's almost unfair to them. Yeah, they're like the it is for one thing, it is asking a very broad range of skills for a teacher. And actually the less um the less you put on that teacher the more time they have to think about teaching um so i mean we were we we are hired an administrator basically as soon as we could not long after we found it turned into a limited company and it's been a blessing i mean mel pretty much mel literally right now runs the company to the best of the furloughed but the point is that we have that opportunity and that experience because we have someone sitting doing the administration doing the standard operating procedures she hands me pieces of paper and tells me what to do and i can and because we have that strength in the company i really i can't agree more we have the expertise we found the expertise and she does that for us and so we have the shape to pursue what we want to do and that is not to say that you can't support your business as a parkour coach you can't do anything else but coach parkour that's not to to say that you can still support your marketing um department or ma marketing person by creating content for uh, your website or creating content or imagery or something like this. If you do have an extra skill and you want to support your business, that's amazing. But it shouldn't be expected or forced upon um, someone to go way out of their area of expertise um, to try and run business or to sort out a business. Um, I think that's why you have various people with various skills. It's really interesting. I think. Um... One of the, the, the pushbacks you might get from that argument is someone saying, well, but the problem with that is that I lose money. Um, I need to pay this administrator and I only make, you know, like uh, 3,000 euros a month because it's a brand new business. How can I possibly afford to pay an administrator to do all of those things? Um, maybe that's sort of the earlier uh, case than a lot of places are, but people do worry. Like you're kind of talking about cash flow, profit, in, incoming and outgoing cash. How do you balance or how, do you, how should we be thinking about that sort of thing? Or is it a case of get someone in as fast as possible and build it into the budget? How do you budget for those things? Yeah, well, I, I would say that having uh, someone, uh, well, outsider who has those skills already is a good investment. And it, it gives you time to do the things that you're good at. And when you have that person that does all that thing, you don't have to stress about it. And when you do more, what you're good at, you probably end up creating more like opportunities to like run classes and do better classes, which will most likely end up in a better re revenue. So it, it usually is a, is it, I think it's usually a false, false uh, that got to me. thing. What? dichotomy the word you're <laughs> yeah, looking for, I, I think. yeah i think it's just like um it's a it's unnecessary like thing to be afraid of 
I think there's also at the moment, um, there are various options of uh, obtaining the initial capital in order to get your um, business up and running. Um, if, um, if someone is looking into opening a new business or starting a new business, I would suggest that they look at their government uh, grants and government support because um, startup companies do often start with small amount, um, but um, that amount should be enough to get the person who they need to set them up on the right path and to get the ball rolling. This might be an excellent point to talk about the role of a boardroom and non-exec directors and directors in general, which Jack is definitely an expert in. That idea of bringing expertise onto a company. Yeah, well, um, in, in, in my experience, and I, I might be completely wrong, but what I've seen uh, is that most, uh, most parkour organizations don't have like boards or... Uh, or different different teams they are like more of a group of friends and they're usually they're everybody's doing everything or in a worst case one one person is doing everything <laughs> but um i'd say that having a board and uh understanding a board board's role and having like those teams that have like certain certain uh like feels of expertise like having a marketing team or uh, having a team that plans your classes and stuff like that it, it's it's way more effective than everybody doing everything because if you have like one person that's in charge of one thing and he has a like two or three people helping him that's more effective than having 12 people trying to fiddle all the things together. So having a board for, let's say, for budget and strategy uh, and having a marketing team that, that could give you like way more perspective to run the business than everybody trying to have a say in everything. So kind of like share, share the responsibilities and uh, kind of like trust that people yeah. who are assigned to those tasks that they will do an excellent job and don't worry about it it's about all about communication but in the end just don't try to do everything alone or together i think we keep coming back to this idea of how important expertise is you find people who are good at things and then you encourage the person who's good at the thing to do what they are good at so parkour culture should be coaching parkour um, business managers should be managing people, uh, operative administrators should be administrating things, and wherever possible, we want to let people do what they're best at. And clearly, we need to grow the business uh, a certain amount in order to be able to afford all of those things. But we have to, maybe the way to think about this, and I don't know how you guys think about this, is um, when the way that, at least the way I think about this a lot of the time is that when someone does one hour of coaching, a lot of people think, well, they did that hour of coaching, so they should be paid. So if we charge, you know, 50 euros for that hour, they should be paid most of that money. Whereas in actual fact, the, the hour of coaching they did has a huge amount of system behind them and that system needs to get paid. So I think, you know, is, is there a balance between um, like 
the reward of the person at the front doing the thing and the system behind them. Um, because I think a lot of people would be worried from this conversation, well, this huge system behind them is it needed, this bureaucracy is just like sucking money out of the reward for that parkour coach. So how do you think about, how do we balance the building of a system to back someone up versus the system taking a lot of money out of the parkour coach as well? I, th I think that goes again to understanding how business works. Um, if you don't um, have the system, you won't be able to run a class. Um, if, you, if people can't book a class using your booking system that you pay for, um, people won't come to the class. If you don't have um, the schedule that someone created, um, you won't be able to run a class. Um, if you and and make that money that way if you don't have insurance you won't be able to run a class um, if you don't have a website or if you don't um, do marketing or advertising your classes you won't be no one will know you run classes therefore no one will come so this system is again something to understand that yes you get um, 15 pounds or whatever from each person who comes to the class but it doesn't mean that all that money goes to the coach because it just can't. Um... Pretty simple, really. Yeah, so, well, uh, I, I would like to simplify it even more. While the coach is coaching, that other person is doing something in order to make something more to coach. That's because it, it, it's, it, it's not like the one's coaching and that's, uh, that's it. Like, like Barbara said, the other one has to be working for him to have some, him or her to have more coach, some more classes to coach. So it's a, it's a wheel. Yeah, I like that idea of it being a wheel. That's kind of cool. Um, okay, let's move on a little bit because um, I've got some more interesting questions for you guys here. I'm not sure how you're going to respond to these ones. Um, what are some of the cornerstones of other industries and businesses that just don't seem to exist in the world of parkour? And what procedural changes could many parkour businesses make that would likely have really positive long-term implications for what we're doing? Yeah, well, I think, um, well, what I thought first is maybe something that I already mentioned, having a board, uh, having the roles, uh, the teams, uh, I th think that's kind of like, uh, I, I, well, uh, to me, most most uh, companies are lacking those. So maybe having those. Okay. Okay. Sell sell me on a sell me on a board because Access Parkour doesn't have a board. Uh, uh, sell you a board. <laughs> sell me on the idea of a board. So like you know, I, I have a reasonably successful uh, medium-sized parkour coaching company. It's doing pretty well right now it's doing terribly because of the pandemic most of the time it's doing pretty well uh it doesn't have a board it has i'm it has me um uh why how and why should i expand to create a board well um that's a good question uh, to well in, in order to make decisions how, how does it work is it just you or is there anyone else involved? Do you um, seek advice? Well, we use a teal model, which means we try and let the person who is closest to the decision make that decision. 
uh, and then we use a method of stakeholders must be consulted in order to make yeah. decisions because basically a board is a is a is a, it's a group of people that makes the decisions that what we are doing it's it's not necessarily saying that we should do this like this it can be only like giving like in some some situations it can be like giving a goal we're aiming for this this is our strategy this is where we're headed these are the things that we think that might give us that goal now this team does this thing and this thing the team does this thing and combined we should have the goal so that kind of decision making should be um ran through a group of people uh, and I, I see that most of the time it's a group of friends in parkour community because we are small businesses but when you kind of like build a model of uh having a board you kind of like build a model that if someone from your group of friends leaves you can kind of like um replace them with a, another person that might have similar set of skills or if you need someone that has the skills that aren't in your team you could fill that place with another people and you already have that kind of like that working environment and those processes and the way that you work as a board so, so it's easier you... to bring up bring up an outsider into that as a because if you have an employee he just comes in and fills a role but when it comes to decision making you cannot just like get someone to decide on things if you don't know what he's deciding for so does that make sense because if so you... is one of the is one of the arguments you're making the idea that um one of the big issues with small business we were talking about this yesterday uh one of the big issues with small businesses is if someone leaves suddenly that business doesn't exist anymore but if you get these structures in place such that you know what the different people are doing, you know what the board's job is, which is to set strategy, you have the operations manager's job is to implement and you've got the CEO's job, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. If you have these roles clearly detailed and instructed, this is what they do, and you remunerate those jobs appropriately. So it might be that someone holds five of those jobs and they're paid you know, 50 euros a month per one. But if you know what those jobs are, you can replace those jobs. Yes. Yeah, kind of like uh, I like to see um, I, I like to see if I work with a company or association that the best outcome is to make me obsolete that they don't need me anymore is like like that's when my job is done. So as a making a board is that you kind of like build the way of doing the things together in that company and that way of doing things can be the heritage and it doesn't matter who's doing those things in the future if you have made that like a structure and pattern so i would say that it's more of a making well what's the word that you used pre previously you both uh it doesn't come to my mind. <laughs> I don't know. The procedures? Procedures. Oh. SOPs. 
Standard operating procedures? Yeah. So it's basically building those. Okay. What about you, Red? Uh, from my experience, I know that board members tend to be quite uh, removed from uh, the business itself. Um, if you have people, if you have a management team in your company uh, with set rules, uh, with set roles, um, if they know what they what part of business they're taking care of, um, you can still create, um, you can still create a strategy, you can still create um, and manage um, the business. So if you've got um, people's manager um, who's um, probably head coach or director of coaching. You also have someone who's in charge of um, the business management and the systems and um, potentially money as well. And then you've got someone who does marketing um, part of it. It, it. I do see it in parkour world that there's very much a horizontal hierarchy uh, where we're all mates. So we're, I'm not going to tell you what to do but in some cases, if um, in some cases, I think very often business does need someone who calls the shots. And yes, there can be um, certain back and forth and the team is definitely encouraged to come up with ideas and to give feedback and to be part of decision-making. But essentially there are managers who create strategy or, or set a vision or who are involved mostly in the in the management of the company um, and then they are responsible for it should it go well or less well um, so are you so i feel like you guys have actually wonderfully and this is really good um asked, suggested slightly different approaches here so um, Red, you've kind of gone for a, a very classic hierarchy with a person making decisions and then other people implementing those decisions where they're most interested. And Jack's has sort of created this sort of double layered thing where the board is for the people with specific roles and then have other roles as well. Which I think you're both sort of advocating for, um, which is sort of interesting. So when we think about distribution of power within a company, um, how do you create a system where the coaches have a legitimate say in what's going on? Because in some ways you want them to be able to do the best job. The only way to do that is to implement what they want. Because the, the worry of the managing one is the manager becomes distanced from the day-to-day -day coaching and forgets what it's actually like to do the job. But then the worry of putting too much power over the coaches is that they don't want that power and actually they'd much rather just be left alone to become fantastic teachers. How do you balance those ideas? I think that's, um, that's where parkour industry does it better than the corporate world will ever understand because um, the manager in parkour company is very often a parkour coach. And I think it's all about coaching in that case. It is coaching your employees. Um, very often, um, parkour coaches, the employees, don't need to be uh, told what to do. They need to be coached. 
say what is it you want to do what motivates you what do what do you want to achieve what what are your goals um okay how do we make them happen how can we help you make that happen if the coach says i want to make tons of money say okay how do we how do we um help you and how can you help us to create this the most uh, profitable company so you can get paid more money or how are you prepared to support the business so the business can pay you more money if your goal is to be the best parkour coach in the world okay what are you prepared to do for that um are you prepared to take more cpds are you prepared to coach more are you prepared to develop yourself how can we support you in that and it all feeds back to the company so if the company feeds to the coaches if they support the coaches they will do they will bend over backwards for the company as well i think um and that is something that the that the corporate world um, is really struggling to understand. For them, um, employees are very often just a number in the, in the spreadsheet that can be very easily replaced. Um, and I think that's wrong. And in parkour company, obviously you don't have millions of people who are ready to jump and um, fill, that, fill that spot to be the parkour coach today, right now. Um, but also we just, it goes back to what 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 is it we do we help people be the best version of themselves we are here to develop people on personal as well as physical level and whatnot um so i think that's why it's so fluid and in parkour company that i work for um i certainly see this um where the manager goes what is it that drives you what is it that what what is your goal what is it you want to achieve and that's how we know that the interests of the person are very much interconnected with the company's interests as well. Okay. I just I just said a lot of words in a very short amount of time. <laughs> Good. Now that's kind of what we wanted. We wanted to pull out from you your ideas, and that's what that was. I I'm kind of um I'm busy interpreting everything that you're saying in terms of my business, uh, because. It's the entire point of this. And so it's very interesting to kind of hear these ideas of uh, the role of the director or the manager to actually be like a coach. Because it's something I think I agree with. Um, what I'm sort of interested in puzzling out from that then is um, how we take this model of... Um, coaching parkour and this okay so we've got this this business structure that's working quite well we have a manager he coaches his coaches the coaches become better and turn it into something that can really have a strong impact um and i think the first thing to do is, and possibly i think we also want to take a moment this is a complicated question apologies take a moment to think about um how we have a longer impact so i think that kind of comes to jack's idea of this board that makes decisions and you can replace people as people go on live about their lives so what is, um, I'm trying to say here, because it's quite complex. I guess it kind of boils down to what should we be implementing into our companies in order to have those long-term positive changes in order to create uh, companies that have a high ethical standard. So maybe let's kind of roll back to that because it might be easier to explain. Um, how do we create high ethical standards within our companies within this framework that we're talking about? How do we how do we assess things 
if it's not about money, which I think is a really important question, because how do we assess the, the quality of a business? And how do we create values and the whys of the company such that we can um, go on to have good quality, high, good quality impact? Shall I rephrase that question? I think I just talked for five minutes and did a rest. <laughs> That is a very difficult question. <laughs> Simple question. Um, how do we um, implement, how do we think about the whys and the values of our company such that we can have long-term positive impact? On? The world. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> No, so I think, um, and that is, again, a personal experience. Um, as much as um, nobody loves meetings, right, um, morning huddles and stuff like this, I think it is very important to have, to have uh, team meetings. I think it is important to get together, um, whether remotely, as we all have to do at the moment, um, or for team training activity, um, it is important that the company regularly has a meeting, a round table where everybody is, is involved, not just the coaches, but even the person who does admin, even the person who uh, teaches one class a month to come in and to reiterate what the vision is, to, to remind people what is it we do, because it is so easy to get stuck in the daily grind, to go, oh fuck, I've got another class to teach and I have to answer these emails. But then to remember why we do this. Well, those are the values that we've got here. Have it on a whiteboard in the office, why not? Um, but just point to it every now and again going, hey, do you remember this is why we do it? We care. And we care not just for the people that we coach, but we, go, we also care for each other. Um, so. I, I think that's so important to do. And um, then getting together weekly, you don't have to be best friends with everybody on the team, probably not going to, um, but it is important as a team to, um, to have that set of values. And it also goes to, to the point where when you are onboarding a new person, uh, it's not just like, here you go, these are the classes that you're going to teach. Like, okay, great. But also, this is what we do. These are the standards. These are the values. This is what we do here. And this is what we expect from you. And if you, if you want to help us on the way, perfect. If you're not quite sure what we mean by that, let's discuss this. If you are super against those values, get up. <laughs> um, probably not in so... It can be said in less uncertain terms, but essentially the company needs to have, needs to know what, at first what those values are and then agree on them with the team. And the team to, should know those values and work towards them and to be reminded of them every now and again. It's really cool. It's, it's a nice, it's a nice call to action to bring people together regularly. Um, and it's, it's actually very difficult. Um, I know from personal experience, the idea of pulling people together is hard um, and getting them to commit to it once a week is very, very difficult. 
Um, I know, and we have busy lives, and when we are not stuck at home, we have classes running at different times, we have meetings, we've got other stuff to do, sure. Um, but I think even right now, um, as a manager, as a head coach, as a director, whoever you are, check in with your people. How are you doing? How's your training? How's the spirit? Um, how can I support you? Um, I think it's extremely important to see that um, the manager cares because then they will go and say, well, actually this company looked after me or took care of me when I was stuck or when, when I couldn't do stuff. So I'm going to give back to. Yeah, cool. Jax, what do you think about this idea of how to build good quality ethical companies that have high quality impact? Where do you start with that idea? Mm, well, uh, well, I think that like I'm trying to like pull it all together that what Red said there. Um, I think that if you kind of like want to have a good working uh, environment at your community, you have to have like you have to have trust, which is like and you have to have like trust that those who are making the decisions, everybody trusts those decisions. So it has to be clear that who's making the decisions and um, it kind of like has to be open so that everybody feels that if they have, have an opinion or a differing opinion, they can just say it out loud and there might be a discussion, but in the end, who's making the decision uh, that shouldn't be unclear either because uh, I think building a functional organization is based on based on like functioning information, like who does what, who decides on these things. And if I have a problem, who do I go to? And uh, it has, like Red said, you have to have like regular meetings. That's creating, creating a relationship because you're going to, probably spend so much time together it's good that you have a relationship other than just someone saying that do that <laughs> it's it's better that you kind of like talk about other things as well but just not about the instructions per se i i'd love to take that point you made and take it a little bit further which is people feeling like they can speak out and talk one of the most fascinating things for me is there's there's a few steps there there's the leader um, creating space so people feel that they can speak out. There's the leader actually listening. And there's the person feeling like they were listened to. And those are three things that are not quite as connected as I have historically felt. One of the most interesting things is if someone comes to me with a, a piece of a comment on what I'm doing or something, I've um, I, I kind of pride myself in that I generally do listen to them, um, but one of the pieces of feedback I regularly get from um, my um, whole team is that they often feel like I didn't listen to them. I go, but I did. I heard what you said, and this is how I incorporate it into what you're saying. And they go, oh, but you didn't tell me that. So I think it's really important to pull out the idea that the first piece is making them feel like they can make these things. The second is actually listening to them. 
which is incredibly hard for leaders to do. Like, let's let's not take that away. Let's, it's very difficult to actually listen to people. Um, and then that last piece, which is really interesting, which is making people realize they were listened to and that their thoughts were appreciated. It's a huge part of that. Yeah, modus operandi of leaders and managers. Um, and it's something I'm actively working on, which is why I kind of wanted to pull it out. Um, I kind of want to, that's a really good place for us to start wrapping up, actually. Uh, and we have hit an hour somehow. So, um, but one thing I'd love uh, to do is, and I'm asking this of every interview I do, which is, are there any books or authors or writers or podcasts that you guys feel that the audience should be listening to, to learn more about your approach and your ideas and where you're coming from? Or, or resources you really recommend they learn from and begin reading if they want to improve their themselves as business uh, owners and business oriented people. Here, well, for me, I, I haven't read a book about it's well about a subject that would fit right in to this discussion, but. And maybe I would, well, I, I recently read this book called The Core, uh, Better Life, Better Performance, which is uh, about a Finnish, a now past a doctor who worked in the Formula One world. Uh, it was a very fascinating book about making your, well, sorting out your life. And when your life's in order and you're healthy and doing well you are more likely to like thrive in what you do and it kind of obviously it's social examples of the formula world how they they made the the world world championship winners those best formula athletes ever so it's 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 a nice read cool so that was the core better life better performance yeah, I right. can look it up and see if that was the title. But otherwise, I would say that just read, or if, if you're like me and cannot read well, just listen, listen to books. I, I like to listen books. So uh, try to get your hands into titles that are interesting to you and just get it all, all you can. Because if even though the book might be rubbish, there's something that you can reflect reflect onto so that could end uh well it could improve you even though the even though if if it doesn't give you like the answers but it might spark that like thinking process that will eventually make you better one of the things i find about a lot of the, like, the classic business books like the seven, seven habits start with why um, and all those big, well-known business books is that actually their core premise is pretty simple and you can grasp it in the first couple of pages. But just going through the book can often be this lovely process of reflecting and thinking about how this idea applies to your business. Um, so I'd kind of agree, a lot of them can be rubbish for a long portion of it, but the, the joy is, is sitting there and thinking, how does this apply to my life? Yes. Um, Red, what are your your big books and big ideas um there's one that i know you read it's reinventing organizations um, it's a great book it's a great book um 
In terms of business models, I would recommend the fifth discipline. Um, that was recommended to me once, and it's, uh, it's a bitch of a book. Um, it's not a page turner, but it's very useful. And I think one that's um, influenced me the most in terms of um, managing people, but also myself, was The Anatomy of Peace. Um, that I couldn't recommend enough to anyone who find themselves in a leadership position. The Anatomy of Peace. Cool. All right, those are some interesting books. Thank you both for your time. I hope uh, you enjoyed the experience of chatting away with me about business. I feel like it's really interesting to have these conversations because there's moments where I'm like, oh yeah, I know all of these things. And then you guys say something and I'm like, oh, that's a different way of thinking about it. And I wander off on a tangent in my own brain for 10 minutes. It's really cool because it's so linked with what I do day to day. And um, for me, becoming a better manager and a better businessman is part of, is, is one of my jobs within my community. You guys talk about the different jobs. And so it's really cool to just sort of sit and reflect on it, especially when I'm not doing it day to day and I've got a little bit more time. Uh, so it was really enjoyable. Thank you for taking the time to sit down and talk to me. I hope it was useful to you both. Um, and we are going to finish the live stream there. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Have a nice weekend. Yeah.